If you have a copy of God's Word with you this morning, please turn with me to Revelation chapter 3, and we will read verse 14 down through the end of the chapter, and we will see in this passage, in these uh, verses, um, the last letter to one of the churches that Jesus uh, writes and has John give to one of the area churches. It is the church at Laodicea, and here is what John recorded. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne and as, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father, I pray that as we look at this passage in the moments that we have, Father, you would allow us to see the intent, the content, yes, but the intent of the passage to the church at Laodicea, and Father, you would allow us to apply this letter to our hearts and to our lives. God, thank you. Thank you for giving us this letter, for keeping it in your scripture, in your record. God, might we live our lives to bring glory, honor, Father, even to magnify your name here, today, right now. I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Last week, I spoke with you uh, about the letter to the church at Philadelphia. And in speaking to you about that letter, I I told you if there was one of the seven churches that I believe River Bend kind of looked like or had the opportunity to look like, it was that of Philadelphia. Meaning this, that there is an open door for you, an open door for us to minister. And I do, I believe that. I believe that God has us here. We are some seven years old and he has an opportunity for us to advance his name and his kingdom here in Hernando, here in DeSoto County, here in this region, here in his world. He has given us an open door for that. But at the same time, if there is one threat or the greatest threat that we 
or that Philadelphia could turn into that door of opportunity being open, I believe that it is this church, the Laodicean church. Two points for us this morning as we look at this and as we see Jesus speak to his church. The first is this, the church's behavior is always confronted by the Savior. The church's behavior is always confronted by the Savior. There is not one piece of behavior, one piece of action that Jesus is going to overlook and say, you know what, I saw that, I'll just sweep that under the rug and we don't have to deal with that. That's that's not going to happen in your life as an individual. That's not going to happen in the life of the church, the one that he died for. He says every single action, every single word, every single activity, every single thought that you and I have, we have to deal with. The church's behavior is always confronted by the Savior. Christ confronts the church ultimately because of this church, ultimately because of their self-sufficiency. Let me tell you a little bit about Laodicea. Laodicea was known for two main things. In their world, in their region, they were known for two main things. Number one, they were known for the black sheep that lived outside the city that they owned. It was a special type of black sheep. It had a great wool, and every single person wanted that wool. And so what they would do is they would shear the sheep, and they would pack that wool, and they would sell it to the whole known world. It was a luxury item, and people paid great prices for that wool. And they were also known in that region for the minerals that were there in the valley that they lived in. They, those minerals were such that they would put them together and they would make eye salve. And it would help eyesight, it would help problems and issues that people had with their eyes. And people would come far and wide to that city for medical relief of eye problems. They were better than any other city in the known Greco-Roman world. They came there. And because of that, they became rich. In AD 90, there was a huge earthquake in the whole region there in uh, present-day Turkey. Most of the cities asked for Rome to help them. Most of the cities would, would come and they would say, please give us whatever money that you have that we can rebuild the city. Laodicea said, you know what, Rome, keep your money. We can rebuild it by ourselves, and we can rebuild it better than what you would give us. So we don't need your help. We don't need your money. We, don't, we just need you to stay out of the way, and we will take care of it. And so they did. That self-independence had found its way into the church. And as that self-independence found its way into the church, Christ confronted the church. These actions did not go unnoticed by Christ. And he saw this self-sufficiency of the city. And now, as it had blown the doors open wide of the church, it was roaring through this church. And so he says to them, I know your works. That you're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were hot or cold. But because you're not, I will spit you out of my mouth. The scene is 
the Mississippi Coliseum. It, it is uh, about halfway full. There, there's some 3,000, 2,500, 3,000 youth and youth ministers there that night. Uh, we were coming together and we were celebrating a Disciple Now weekend back in the mid-90s. And I witnessed a message from a gentleman as he stood and proclaimed the gospel. I was leading a, a church group right outside the city and uh, we took them there that Saturday night. We were part of the 2,500 so and the guy stood and proclaimed the gospel and as an invitation he said, does anybody else have a word? And folks started going up there and asking for prayer and talking over the microphone and, and I witnessed this guy, a uh, young youth minister, go up and take his Bible up there and open to this passage. And he said something like this. I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm, lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit, I will spew, I will vomit you out of my mouth. And this gentleman said, God wants you hot for him or cold against him. And I know that's what he said because I said it. And how wrong I was. I didn't understand the layout of the land, so to speak. I didn't understand the, the place where Laodicea was. Since that time, I have learned more things about this city, about this region, about this passage and God is not saying, I want you hot for me or cold against me. He's writing to a church that he loves and that he knows. And he says this, Laodicea, you know where you're living. You know the self-sufficiency that you find yourself in. You know that you built an aqueduct from a, about seven miles to your southeast. There were, there were some cliffs in a city of Colossae that was known in the region for cold, refreshing springs of water. And you built an aqueduct to get that fresh water to you. Cool, refreshing water. And that wasn't enough because seven miles to the northeast of you on the cliffs, every morning you're there and you're looking at this town of Hierapolis and you see the white cliffs that are there, the minerals that are there, and they are known just like you are for your eye salve and for the black sheep and the wool that comes from there. They are known for their hot baths and their spas that bring refreshment, relaxation that is there for the bones and the muscles. You built an aqueduct from there to get hot water to you so that your baths would be hot. You built an aqueduct to get the cool, refreshing water to you. But as it traveled five, and mi five miles, seven miles, the cold water became lukewarm. The, the hot water became lukewarm. And its purpose was lost. You didn't get a refreshing, cool drink and you didn't get a hot bath. And because of that, you said, you know what, that water's worthless. That's how I feel about you. You're not a refreshing drink to the city of Laodicea. You're not a hot, relaxing bath to the city of Laodicea. You are not the ones that are shining the light of my name here. And because of that, you have lost your purpose 
What good are you? Think about that for a second. To have the Savior, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, say to a church that supposedly loves him, I want to spit you out of my mouth. Doesn't that bite? To say to an individual, to say to a whole body of people that says, I love you, Christ, yet he says, you have lost your purpose. There is no purpose whatsoever in you because you're neither hot or cold. Therefore, I will spit you out of my mouth. Self-sufficiency is a slap in Jesus' face. Oh, church, it is a slap then, it's a slap now. To think that we don't need any help. To think that we can live, that we can work, that we can do whatever is necessary for this life is a lie. That you and I, if not careful, have bought into a lie from the very pit of hell. Maybe personally you have said something along these lines. Maybe you haven't vocally said it. But maybe through your actions, through your lives you have. Something along these lines. Lord, I want you for, for my Savior. I, I want you for, for Lord for eternity. But I'll take care of Monday through Sunday. I'll take care of the 70 years that I'm here. I'll go do the things that I want to do. I'll go to the things that I like. I'll go and I'll, I'll major in whatever I want to major in. I'll have the boyfriend that I'll have. I'll have the girlfriend that I'll have. I'll go wherever I want to. But when it comes to me dying, I want you to take care of me. Jesus said, if that's you, I'll spit you out. That's not the purpose. That's not the purpose of the Savior and what he has. If you're going to come to him, then you have to come to him on his terms. Not, not your terms. Not my terms, his terms. What are his terms? His terms are this. I either get all of you, or I don't want any of you. I get all of you, or I don't want any of you. And I want you because I love you, because I died for you, because I paid the price for you, for your sin. I bled and died. But you've got to come on my terms. If you're Christ, if you have bowed the knee, if you have confessed with your mouth that He is your Savior, your Lord, then I pray that you and I would heed this warning today. Depend on Him. Depend on Him for your next breath. Depend on Him for your next decision. Depend on Him for your next sentence. You say, all right, Brian, how does this work? How do, how do I live a life with all the responsibilities that I have if that's the case? Well, maybe it's every five minutes you've got to go back to Him and say, all right, Lord, um, is this what you want me to do? Maybe that's how you have to start it. And you're like, all right, I'm not going to get very much done. Well, guess what? Maybe that will drive you to his word. Maybe you'll read about him. 
Maybe you'll see how he lived his life as you're reading through the Gospels, as you're reading through the New Testament. You will see all the things, that how he taught his followers to live. And you'll say, hey, you know what? Maybe I do need to be a little like Peter. Maybe I do need to put this in there like Paul or like Timothy or like Titus did. Maybe I don't have to go every five minutes to him. But maybe it's a day-by-day thing. Your dependence on Christ is what he desires more than anything. It's more than any action that you and I could do. Your dependence, my dependence on him, trusting him for today is what he desires. You and I desperately need him. But second, we see this. Verses 19 down through verse 22. We see that the Savior lovingly gives opportunity for his own to come back and repent. Read with me. I'll read them aloud. You follow along. The verses will be on the screen. Listen to what he says. To those whom I love, those whom I love, I reprove. To those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous, get fired up about it, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus says to his church, those whom I love, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. How many of you like discipline? We got a couple of oddballs here. Most of us don't like discipline. Most of us would say something along these lines. I'll, I'll deal with it. Just leave me alone. Let me go my way and I'll take care of it. Jesus said, no, you're my child, you're my son, you're my daughter, and because you're my son and my daughter, here are the guidelines that I have for you. If you get outside of this, I will discipline you. Why? Because I love you. The author of Hebrews put it this way in Hebrews chapter 12. I'll read verse 5 down through verse 13. It states this, and have you forgotten the exhortation that, uh, that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline, River Bend, that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father doesn't discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have 
had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them, shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful. Yeah, that leather belt sure does hurt rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Christ says to his church, I love you. Because I love you, I'm going to discipline you. Because I love you, there will be reproof for your life, for my life, for the church as a whole. The shame on this text and it being written to the church at Laodicea is somewhat twofold. I've heard it time and time again, maybe you have as well, maybe growing up in a church you heard it as an evangelistic verse. Jesus is outside the door of your heart and he is knocking. If you would just allow him to come in, he will come in. And that is what it says, but it's not an evangelistic text. You have to understand he's writing it to his church. They're already saved or they're already supposed to be saved. And he has become a byproduct. He has been shifted to the side. They are continuing on their ministry. They're continuing on their programs. They're continuing on their weeks, their lives. And he's on the outside just looking in. And they don't need him. So they think. They're saying, hey, we're fine. We're rich. We're profitable. We're prosperous. We are here and we are doing our thing. And he says, you're pitiable. You are naked. Laodicea, you are known for your wool and your naked. Laodicea, you're known for your eye salve and you are blind. Don't you see? You are blind. Why don't you come to me and have gold, refined gold? Why don't you come to me and have the riches untold? I will give them to you. I will clothe you so that the shame that of your nakedness will not be seen by anybody. I will give you this eye salve so that you might see spiritual things. The shame of the text is that his church, whom he loved, didn't even know that they had left him outside. Is that where you are today? You're doing all these things? You're checking off all the boxes? You think you're prosperous? You've read your Bible. You've had your devotions. You prayed with the kids. All this stuff. You're here this morning. You go to connect. You do this. He's like, be careful that I'm not on the outside looking in. He desires to see you saved. This text is written to his church Dr. Patterson in the uh, New American Commentary writes this when it deals with this text. In every era, the ultimate adju adju adjudication, I need to just skip that word, 
about the value of an individual church is not the question of the name of the church on the shingle or on the sign at the entrance or the history of the church's uh, past, relationships, or even an analysis of the history of a particular congregation. The question to be answered is always the relationship of Christ to the local church. Is He on the inside embraced, loved, honored, enthroned, and followed? Or is he on the outside knocking, calling for entrance to the entity that bears his name? Christ died for the church. He died for you. He died for the folks at Laodicea and he wanted them to understand. And he gave them time to come back. And he gives you time to come back. Have you stated with your decisions that I want you for eternity but not for today? Just to be clear, he doesn't work that way. If you come to him, then he's Lord. He's Lord today. This week, Nathan had to uh, memorize a verse, or maybe it was last week, but it was Psalm 37, 4. It states this, delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. The Lord. And He will give you the desires of your heart. Maybe you find yourself like Solomon. If you read the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon tried everything. He he tried work. He built all kinds of houses. He, He built pools for all of his horses. He built barns and stables for them. And he said, hey, that's foolishness. Maybe it's pleasure. He had the very best every single night stand in front of him from court gestures, fun, from ladies, from everything, every walk of life. He sought pleasure. He said it was vanity. He searched after family. It's vanity. He searched after every single thing and At the end of it, he says, it's all vanity upon vanity. It's chasing after the wind. But God says, if you, if you will delight yourself in me, if you'll delight yourself in me, I will give you the desire of your heart and it will satisfy. It will satisfy. If you come to him and delight if you wallow in, if you glory in, if you get a thrill or a charge out of it, if you pleasure in Him, He will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in Him and He will give you those desires and you will be satisfied. Matthew chapter 5 verse 6 states this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And I bring it back to Revelation chapter 3, verse 18. I counsel you, I I beg you, I talk with you to buy from me, Christ says. Buy from me, gold refined. Buy from me that you might be rich. And I will give you white garments so that you may clothe yourself. And the shame of your nakedness will not be seen. And I'll give you salve to anoint your eyes that you might see. Oh, River Ben. Why don't you come to him today?
Maybe you have given given him eternity. But he says, I want today. I, I want right now. Oh, teenager, I want your teenage years. Oh, young adult, I want your young adult years. Oh, seasoned adult, sir, ma'am, father, mother, I want those years. I want you. Heavenly Father, I pray. God, that we would heed the warning of the church at Laodicea. It's a church that you loved. It's a church that you died for. God, I believe that it is a a threat to me. It is a threat to us here today that we would be so self-sufficient that we say in our words or in our thoughts, we don't need you. Oh God, we need you. Every single moment of every single day, we need you. Father, would you speak to our hearts right now? Would you draw men and women back to you right now? God, I believe that you are the healer physically and spiritually. And Father, I believe that in this place we need spiritual healing. Would you please draw us back to you? Father, provide. Open our eyes that we might see. Give us boldness. You you didn't give us a spirit of timidity. You gave us a spirit of boldness. Might we stand knowing what you've done for us and that we have the answer, not just for ourselves, but Father, we have the answer for Hernando. We have the answer for DeSoto County. We have the answer for the unreached, unengaged people groups around the world. Might you challenge us continually to take your name. We'll give you praise and honor and glory. For you alone are the one that deserves it. Father, would you work, I pray. The invitation is for you today, sir. It's not for anybody else. Ma'am, it's not for anybody else. It's for you. For you to hear and heed the warning of your Savior. We're going to stand and we're going to sing. But as we do, would you please obey? Would you come back to him? If you don't know him, may, may you come the first time. Let me introduce him to you. But please, obey us.